0: Whoa, man, I'm excited. Hold on, let me soak it in. You guys excited? Oh, my goodness. Did you sing that song? If you're not clapping, you didn't sing that song. Oh, my gosh, I'm pumped to be here. You guys, you have no idea. This means the world right now. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Zach. I work here at 48th Street. I work in the adult connections world. And I'm super pumped to be part of collective tonight. I've never been able to do this before. Uh, I've been here, played drums, seen what atmosphere this is. And I'm just like, this is unique. This place on Tuesday nights is special and it's special for a lot of reasons. But I'm willing to bet that one of the reasons that it's special is because there's some people in here that are not native to Quincy. Am I right? Are there some people? Raise your hand if you're not from Quincy. Whoa, shoot foreign waters out here. All right, well, that's okay. Uh, If you are not from Quincy, raise your hand if you think there's some weird things about this town that you've noticed. Yes, okay, all right. I'm gonna give you one. If you don't know it, it's gonna blow your mind. Uh, we We have two restaurants that are Mexican pizzerias. Now, I don't know how you guys did in geography, but Mexico and Italy are not even on the same continent. So for a town like Quincy to have a restaurant called a Mexican pizzeria, it's almost like going to Macomb and eating that yummy chin. So that was a reference to something I had last week that is the best cuisine of Thai Chinese and Japanese all under one roof. Ain't no way that's the best. Okay. Something was funky there. It did something funky. Anyways, uh, like I said, I'm Zach. I am from Quincy originally, born and raised, went away to school for four, my, my four-year degree, which ended up being four and a half years because I really liked to study, and I just wanted to make sure I got that extra semester in while I was there. But I got my degree nonetheless. Um, and, and I found that where we live actually shapes who we are. Where we live has a lot to do with who we are as a person, for example, I didn't know Mexican pizzerias were weird. I didn't know until I had a buddy from college come back and go, "Hey man, you realize you're getting two continents' food here? Like this does not make sense." I'm like, well, "Chips and salsa are good, uh, and if you haven't had them, you need to come find me after this. We'll go get a tub of salsa and we'll have it tonight. Promise, okay? Because I'm hungry." Um, but even where I lived in my community of Quincy, even where I lived in the little pockets of town that I lived in, it shaped me even there. It shaped my character. It shaped my behavior. It shaped who I was. You know, when I was a kid, I I grew up um, with a friend named Kyle. Everybody has that friend, right? Everybody has that friend growing up that just doesn't do any good for them. And Kyle was that guy for me. And we grew up together. We lived around each other. We went to the same daycare, uh, and we went to junior high together later on. And it was around that time that... um, Kyle taught me something. He probably didn't know he was going to teach it to me, but uh, I have a little brother, and my little brother would always hang around with us. He's almost four years behind me, and he had this innate fear of uh, storms, of tornadoes. Like he really thought life was going to end if there were clouds in the sky, and it was crazy, but uh, Kyle knew that, and Kyle would poke fun at him, and Kyle would tease him, and Kyle would try to scare him, and anybody in here got younger siblings? It's cool if I do that to him, right? It's cool if I'm teasing my brother or I'm poking fun at him. But man, when somebody else does it, something flips. And uh, that day I said, Jake, go on inside, man. I'll be in there in a second. Kyle taught me something that day. He taught me how to fight. He didn't know he was going to do it. Uh, let, me, let me be specific. Kyle taught me how to win a fight. Okay. Cause I walked on off. He stood up out of the dirt and followed me and we were good. Don't fight guys. It's not good. Okay. Don't do that. All right. I learned not to do that later on in life. Um, when I went away to college, when I was older, it shaped who I was. You're in college. You know what comes with that. I found drinking when I went to college and I got involved in it. Illegally and then legally and then more illegally. Um, and it shaped a lot of who i was it shaped my character what i valued it shaped what i did with my time and unfortunately i wish i could say after college it stopped but it carried on it shaped me enough to hold on to me till i was like 28 so you you have to recognize that where you live matters and and the question i want to ask tonight is not where you live but if God were to come and look at you and go, do you know where I live? Do you know where I live? If God asked you that question, how would you answer it? Well, we know that when we speak of God, we speak of the triune God, the God had three in one, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if I said, do you know where God the Father lives? You would probably say, yeah, I know where he lives. You know, he originally created the earth, came down to earth to dwell with the people he created, sin entered the world, and he went back to heaven. And God the Father lives in heaven. And if I said, do you know where God the Son lives? You'd probably go, yeah, I know where God the Son lives. I know the story. And he was born in a manger, uh, left heaven, came down, born in a manger, grew up as a man, fully man but fully God, lived on earth for around 33 years, gave his life up for me because of what I do wrong, because I can't be with God the father without him taking my place, died the most painful death you could ever experience as a man rose from the dead. Three days later, uh, can I get an amen? Oh yeah. All right. That's good. And then ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the father as we speak. You could probably tell me that. But what if I asked you, what if the Spirit said, Do you know where I live? Um, if I'm being honest, I think that's something we overlook. I think it's something we glaze over. And, and, and I know it's true. I've, there's a research article that was published by Barna. Barna's a group, a Christian group that does research, does metrics. It's a fancy word for numbers does research on different topics in Christianity. I want you to listen to what they found. Nearly 60% of Americans who regularly attend Christian church say there is no such thing as the Holy Spirit. They say the Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or presence of purity. There's probably 200 of you in here. That means 120 of you don't know who God is. It means 120 of you don't understand what you have access to through the Holy Spirit. That's a scary thought. So where I want to land tonight is I want to spend some time with you and talk through who the Holy Spirit is and where he lives and what that means for you. Is that okay? Let's do it. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We know that. What does that mean for me? Well, the first thing it means is the Holy Spirit wants to shape you. He shapes you. Okay? You might go, well, how does he shape me? Well, he lives in you, and he wants to shape you. He's not foreign to being able to shape things. He understands what it takes to do such things. He actually is an expert at it. Let's look in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. If you spent any time in church at all, you know what happens next. Creation, right? God created. The Spirit was there shaping the earth to make what we know to be the beautiful creation that God has done? I don't know about you, but when I when I experience God's beauty is usually when I'm on a beach with my toes in the sand, the water's rushing up over them, and I can just look out and see nothing but water. And it's like, whoa, the ripples in the water, the waves crashing in, it's beautiful. I don't know what that looks like for you. That's just me. Maybe I just want to be at the beach. I don't know. But maybe you need to ask yourself this. Have you ever felt empty? Have you ever felt darkness inside? Have you ever felt a void like it talks about in the beginning? Because I'm here to tell you, he wants to take that and he wants to shape it into something beautiful. Because that's what he does. That's what he's done since the beginning. And, you know, creation happened quick, right? This day happened. That day happened. There was stuff going on all over. And sometimes that happens with us. Sometimes the spirit shapes us quickly. Uh, Maybe you've been in worship and you've had your hands up and you are in it, man. You are fully committed to worshiping. And before you know it, there's some emotion coming over you. Anybody been there? And people are looking at you like, why are you snot crying during worship? Right? That happens quickly. Um, Maybe it happens right after you give your life to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us when we accept him, we're a new creation. We are brand new. And with that newness comes that fire inside. And we are on fire for the Lord. The Spirit has us. And he is doing things in us that we didn't know that we could do. Maybe it happens that way. But sometimes the Spirit wants to shape us a little bit more uh, intently, a little slower. It takes more time to do that. Sometimes he has to take our hardened hearts that are calloused over. And he has to just chip away a little bit at a time. A little bit more and a little bit more. To uncover what was originally created inside of us. I think of it as like archaeologists when they dig down to uncover the original ruins of ancient cities. They don't want to mess anything up. Right? It takes them weeks. It takes them months sometimes. Maybe even years to get down without disturbing anything. And be very precise and very patient with their uncovering to show what was originally there. And sometimes that's what the Spirit has to do with us. He wants to shape us, but it takes time because he doesn't want to ruin it. He wants to open us up to how we were originally created and show us who we really are. Sometimes it takes time. Second thing the Spirit wants to do, he guides us. So we know he shapes us. He guides us. How does he guide us? What does he do to guide us? How do we receive that guidance from the Spirit who lives in us for the choices that we have in life? Let's look at uh, Scripture and and see what it says. Acts 13, 2 says this, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I want you to notice a couple of things here. The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit guided them, right? But before that, the text says that they were worshiping and fasting. See, the Spirit can't guide us if we're not giving him any time. You're not going to hear anybody talking to you if you don't give them time. If you want guidance in your life, because we all are going to face big decisions, Right? Some of you are probably in the midst of them right now. Maybe it's, man, what do I major in in school? Maybe it's, man, what am I going to do after school? Or uh, who should I date? Or who should I not date? Or maybe if we're thinking about marriage, or do we have kids, or how do we handle these kids? There's all these big decisions in life that the Spirit wants to guide us with. But if we don't give him time, we can't hear him. We can't hear anything if we don't give them time. For these guys, it looked like worshiping and fasting. For us, what does that look like? Reading our word. Worshiping. Memorizing scripture. Meditating on scripture. Maybe studying. What what do you give your time to? Maybe that's something you need to ask yourself right now. Because that's what you're going to pay attention to. That's what's going to guide you. If you're not giving your time to your relationship with Jesus, the spirit can't guide you. So he wants to guide us. And I'll be honest, for me, I've had this happen even through reading. I'll be reading a text in my Bible, and uh, it'll just be that. I just read it. Nothing, it's not like, you know, I hear angels singing. It's just I'm reading it, I'm done. Months later, I've, I've, I've circled back to the same text, same Bible, same chapter, same spot I'm sitting at in my house. And the Spirit will reveal something to me that I'm going through. The text will come alive, and, and I know that's true. It says that in Hebrews uh, 4. 12, it says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. If you give it time in your life, he will speak to you. See, it takes our obedience to hear the Spirit. He will take the obedience you give him, and he'll speak to you. Third thing the Spirit does for us, he equips you. He equips you. What does he equip us for? Well, the first thing he equips us for is to be strong in our weakness. We all have weaknesses, whether we want to say it or not. If you don't say you have a weakness, that's a weakness. You can't say, I have a weakness. The Spirit wants to take our weakness and make it our strength. Look what it says in Romans eight twenty six. It says, in the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Spirit is interceding to the Father for us. Intercede means intervene, going between. I picture it as like a conduit, like he's going back to God to express these weaknesses to God to give me strength. And I don't even know it. I don't even know what's happening until I need the strength. Let me tell you a story. About four or five years ago, five years ago, um, my mother-in-law started to not feel well. And she is the second coolest lady I know next to my wife. And uh, I've known my wife a long time. She just keeps getting cooler. Um, But my mother-in-law started to feel bad. She started experiencing sickness, and um, she, at the time she was working with me, I was a teacher uh, in a special needs class, and she was actually my teacher's aide, which was really cool. Some people are like, oh, you work with your mother-in-law? Whoa! No, she's cool. So she was with me, and she started missing days because she didn't feel good. We didn't think anything of it, you know. You work in a school, you get sick. That's what happens. But then she got to the point where she's like, my back hurts. I can't, I can't keep sitting in a chair and now I can't even stand cause it hurts. And, uh, she'd miss more days and then eventually she wasn't coming to work cause she was in so much pain and it got to the point where she was literally crawling across her floor in her house to get to where she needed to go to cause she was in so much pain. She's somebody who doesn't like to go to the doctor. She comes from that generation where we're, we we do not need to go to the doctor. Um, if i got a bone sticking out of my leg, I'll go to the doctor after I shove it back in so he can clean it up and do what he needs to do. That's just who she is. And another thing about Vicky is um, she struggles with anxiety and depression. And it's not, it's not her choice. She doesn't want to do that, but it comes over her. And so going to the doctor about something she knew was wrong with her caused a lot of those feelings in her. Eventually, we convinced her that she should go. And and she ended up going to the doctor and he saw her and said, your color doesn't look good. We need to run some tests. And then it turned into, we need to do some x-rays. And then it's like, you need to go over to the hospital. We're going to do an MRI. And then it was, uh, okay, we need to admit you to the hospital. 24 hour window, all that happened. And I'll never forget where I was standing my wife was in front of me. Vicky was sitting on her bed. Her husband was behind her, and her other daughter was sitting on the bed as well. And the doctor came in. He sat down. And he said, "I've got some bad news. Oh, you have cancer. Um, it's not just cancer. It's stage four breast cancer. And the reason your color's bad is because you're jaundice. Because the cancer has moved into your liver and completely destroyed your liver." And the reason your back hurts is because the cancer moved into your bones and exploded one of your discs in your back. And it, oh, and it also moved into your lung. And we're all standing there in shock. Nobody can speak. Most people are crying. And Vicky's sitting there and she looks at everybody and she says, okay, it's okay. God's got this. She had a faith that allowed her to be strong in a moment of weakness. And uh, it's because she allowed the Spirit to affect her life and, and intercede for her and equip her for her moment of weakness. She was supposed to be dead. Right now, she's at my house hanging out with my kids. She keeps fighting. Yeah. She doesn't stop. She keeps fighting because she knows God's fighting for her. What battle can you not win if God's fighting for you? Ask yourself that. What can you not do if God is on your side, if the spirit lives in you? He will equip you for any weakness you will ever face. The last thing he does as he equips you, it's the part that kind of gets me going. Originally, I put equips you to attack. Because sometimes, man, I'll, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I get up in the morning. I'm just in that mood. And somebody's like, hey. And I'm like, what? i got to check myself. You know what I mean? You ever been there? i like, don't. Not right now. He equips you to do battle. Let's leave it like that. He equips you to do battle. Because we're in a battle. How does he equip us? Let's look at some scripture. Ephesians 6, the armor of God. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... You may be able to take, to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Every weapon, that was named, was used for defending. Your breastplate protects your vital organs. Your helmet protects your brain. Your shield protects you from the arrows. Your belt holds the tools you'll need. The only weapon that is mentioned here that you can use to attack, to fight back, is the sword of the spirit. God knows what he's doing. He gave us an opportunity to fight. He gave us the ability and the tools to do it with. He gave us the sword of the spirit. And if I'm being real honest with you guys, I found out I was going to preach at Collective about a week and a half, two weeks ago. I was pretty pumped. I said, what's it on? Josh said, do you know where I live? I was like yeah I've been to your house and <laughs> he goes no no, no that's, it's do you know where I live and I was like alright I'll try to figure it out sat down grinded it out last Thursday got it done felt great went over it with my wife <laughs> I was like this sucks I don't like this uh Rewrote the whole thing. Rewrote it to myself. Because if I'm being truthful with you, I struggle. Uh, I struggle with fear. I struggle with doubt, shame, anxiety. I struggle with it all, man. Right here. And it wasn't until I came to this point in writing that I go, whoa. I can fight. All those little things I want. I can do that. I can use the power that the spirit puts in me to fight back. When that fear comes, no, no, no fear. Perfect love drives out fear. When that shame comes, no, no, no shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When that anxiety comes, no, no, no anxiety. Pray. This message was for me. And after I wrote it, I realized that. And I'm hoping this message was for you too. So I don't know where you are. Um, I don't know where you are in your walk. I don't know if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior. But if you don't, I don't know how you do it. (laughs) Just look around. Turn the news on. WGM, of course. There's so much crap going on. There's so much junk out there. The ultimate goal for us is to be with the Father. You were created to be with him. And you can't do it. You, you can't do it. Maybe you don't call yourself a sinner. Let's look at some sins. Lies. How how many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? One. Lusting. How many times do you have to lust to struggle with it? One. Cheating. How many tests do you have to cheat on before you're a cheater? One. Anybody going to heaven still? Jesus makes it possible, man. He came here for you. He, oh, it messes with me when I think about what he went through. Like he was tortured in the worst way possible. The people who tortured him, who crucified him, knew how to torture him so that it was the most painful thing. They knew that if they whipped his bare back with shards of glass in their whip, it would tear his back open so that when he was hung on the cross, the angle he was at, he would have to raise up to breathe and rub all those bare flesh muscle exposed, probably bone exposed right across that bark. They knew he would have to do that. You know who he was thinking about? He was thinking about you. So I don't know where you're at, but if you don't know him, he knows you. And I invite you to come have a conversation with him. And if you're ready for that step, there's going to be people on both sides in the back. Please don't leave without saying something. You can ask anybody in here who said yes to Jesus. The only regret they have is that they didn't do it sooner. If you do know him, how would you answer the question if the spirit asked you, do you know where I live? Because I'd be willing to bet there's things that you struggle with. I'd be willing to bet that the, uh, the life that you are in comes with different challenges. He wants to help you. He wants to shape you. He wants to guide you. He wants to equip you. So maybe that's the conversation you need to have tonight, to come up here and just ask him, would you guide me? Would you, would you help shape me? Would you help equip me? Because when I do it myself, it doesn't work. Don't leave here tonight without moving. Would you guys stand with me? Heavenly Father, man, you are... You are amazing. You are the God of the promise. You are the triune God, and we are so, so thankful that, Father, you are in heaven waiting for us, that, Jesus, you came to earth for us, that Spirit, you live inside of us. God, you didn't leave us alone on this earth. You knew we would have trouble. Thank you for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit to shape us, to guide us, and to equip us, Lord. Put it on our hearts what you want us to do. Give us the boldness through the Spirit to do it tonight. Father, you are good Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.